0: Having a minimum wage I sure suppose goes without saying will make a huge impact on my life. Like I would be able to plan things, I'd be able to not have to drop social plans because I have to go to work on a Friday night or a Saturday night. I would be able to sleep easy knowing that I pay the rent next week, that I can meet all my commitments and that. You know, it would just—it just make a huge—it would just make a huge difference. And I don't even have any dependents. I don't have kids or anything. If I had kids, that mean the absolute world to me, knowing that I could support them week by week, without having to worry about when the next paycheck's going to come in and how much that's going to be. So I, I don't think it could be overstated how important that is to so many of us.
1: Many of us take for granted the minimum wage. It's just there, hovering in the background, the floor that sits beneath us. Ensuring the minimum we'll take home at the end of a day's work. But for workers in the gig economy, it's a luxury they rarely know as they piece together a living task to task, never knowing what a day's work will be worth at the end of it. I'm Robbie Waring, and this week on the Fair Work podcast, we hear the story of Ethan Bradley, a delivery courier based in the northeast of England. We look at the issues related to pay what it's like working under a piece-rate system, the mental stress attached to this, and how it shapes your experiences of work. Ethan moved back to York four years ago after dropping out of university in sudden circumstances. York was a town where he had connections and friends. He so for, for a while before finally getting a job and moving into his own place.
0: And I started working as a cashier in a betting shop. Um, so really menial, minimum wage work, not much, uh, you weren't given much trust, even though you were handling money. You you were, you, had, you were overseen by your managers, your managers were overseen by their managers. You kept being like, you were clocked in by the computer, by the till, you, your CCTV all over the place. It was very sort of, you, you did you did, it did feel quite robotic like you weren't you weren't like i say you weren't trusted much you weren't given much freedom um you weren't given much responsibility because everyone was checking what you're doing anyway you, you were barely even trusted to check bets yourself or count the money in the tail for example um but the job itself was mundane it felt very laborious i really didn't enjoy going to work at that point um and that's kind of how i, I came into doing uh gig work.
1: Ethan began looking for other work. And as he Googled different jobs, the targeted ads he received on his social media feed slowly began to change. And what
0: I kept saying was, Deliveroo, earn £12 an hour, be your own boss. And I was like, hmm, just kept, that just struck a chord with me, I suppose. Like, I, and I think that's how they get a lot of people, I suppose. People who can't stand the mundanity of their job for minimum wage with no prospects and, I think most importantly, being cooped up in one place all day, be it an office or a shop with no opportunity to go anywhere or see anyone apart from the people, the same old people that walk in day in, day out.
1: The Deliveroo ads seemed to offer a world of work which gave you autonomy, freedom and flexibility. All things which were absent from Ethan's work at the time.
0: I was like, wow, there is another option. Like, I don't have to do awful minimum wage work that just bores me to tears. Because at that point, it was either between what I was doing or working in Tesco or something, or like any other sort of sort of service sector, unskilled labor, which was all that was really open to me with like, I didn't have many local connections. I didn't have any qualifications apart from like A-levels. And I didn't have much like real world experience. So I was like, wow, this is an opportunity. And like, I, I honestly, I thought it really struck a chord with me. And of course, you just, you just, you, you get the idea of freedom. And like, and that I think is what they really sell people on, is the idea of freedom, whether it's true or not. You are free to work when you want and earn when you want. And on the face of it, it sounds like a really, a really, uh, strong proposition so it got it got me hook line and sinker straight away.
1: Ethan started working for Deliveroo in 2018 as a cycle courier and three years later it is still his main source of income. He clocks in around 30 hours a week on the app. As Ethan puts it starting work for Deliveroo kind of just throws you in with no real training or onboarding. Clocking in for the first time, he was struck by the way that the app gamified the work and the buzz he got every time he was paid.
0: We're both through an Uber, of course, you get paid per job and you know how much you're going to get either before or slightly after um, you do the order. And so there's that real sort of like dopamine hit, I suppose, like you used to get on social media back in the day when that was all new and novel. Um, when you see the, pe- the, the pennies counting up on your app, And the little ticker goes up. These were back in. This was back in the day when these companies were still relatively new, relatively like battling each other to get market share. So you would get five pounds, six pounds, seven pound jobs very easily. It really does the whole way. It sort of gamifies this experience of work, and it makes you feel like I remember that first shift. I I put in about three, four hours, and. When you're cycling around quite fast and you're not like used to doing that, you get tired. I, I can't... I, I remember how like relatively unfit I was and my legs were aching. And I was like, I need to go home. And I thought, no, I can't go home. There's still work to be done. And it just kind of keeps you going and it kind of urges you to push yourself. Um, so it's definitely a good motivation to get fit, if nothing else.
1: But the flip side to gamification is the way that it encourages people to work when they might otherwise stop. I I
0: do feel like it pushes you to carry on working even though when you feel like you shouldn't be working even through physical exhaustion. And I suppose that is and isn't a bad thing because you push yourself too much in one day, of course, you'll have to take the next day off. But at the same time, you're kind of getting fitter at the same time. So I suppose if you know how to manage it, that's okay. What is bad is how it it kind of encouraged you to work through physical injury. So, like, um, I've had a few scrapes, a few minor crashes, like, you know, I've come off with bikes, like skidded my knee across the tarmac, like, cracked crack my fingers, you know, got sprains and that. And you just get up, get your first aid, get out, and you pass yourself off and you carry on working. Even when you should, like, you know, maybe go to hospital because you might have a broken finger or two or dislocated shoulder or something. And, like, you don't get yourself checked out when you should because you don't get paid to go to hospital. You don't get any, you know you don't get any sick pay. If you get signed off work, there's no income.
1: Within Deliveroo, riders are classed as self-employed independent contractors and therefore are not entitled to national minimum wage. And within Deliveroo, are paid piece rate, where they receive a fixed payment for every job that they complete. The rate of pay that a rider received is based on how much work is available versus how many other workers are logged into the app at that time, with fewer orders meaning less available work, meaning lower pay for the worker. For Ethan pre-pandemic, working for Deliveroo was a steady if insecure form of income.
0: It is be okay out there. I mean, even on a bad day, you still hit about £8, £9 an hour maybe seven in the summer. But that was like the absolute height of summer, you know? Nobody was ordering takeaways then. So you'd be like, yeah, that's what happens. Um, But since the pandemic hit, that's just become the norm. Like, you're going to make six or seven quid on delivery and Uber combined, there's no work on either of them. It It just makes you feel really insecure. Like, it makes you worry all the time about, well, I've got this bill next week, I've got the rent to pay next week, so... Where's that going to come from? What am I going to do? How am I going to explain to the landlady that actually, no, sorry, I can't pay you anything this week because nobody's ordered any pizzas. Like that's just not something you can do. So how, how do you how do you cope with that? With that, and the answer is you, you, there's no real way to cope with that, and there's no safety net. So you just get very very stressed about it, and you just feel you're just out there, like whatever the time, whatever the whatever the weather. Sat in a doorway or on a street corner, waiting, waiting, checking your phones, checking you haven't missed an order awesome in one of the apps, checking that the apps haven't gone down. Do I have signal? Yes, I have signal. Surely there must be work. Surely, surely, and this is all running through your head, and you start like the thoughts kind of escalate and escalate. The anxieties, like oh god, I can't pay the rent this month. I'm not paid electric next week, and then water's coming in soon, and then I owe somebody such and such, and you're like oh crap, it's all building up. So you just kind of work yourself round and round in a state of anxieties. And you can like cycle through the streets. Now, I had, had a shift where I noticed this last week, was just lots of riders feeling really sad and getting really anxious. All stood like separately, pacing on the spot. Because of course, you can't really group together much now because of COVID. So you're just like separately, all clearly experiencing the same anxiety, hoping or waiting for work. So the pandemic has changed things massively. Like that, even that idea of a pace, that vague idea of pace security has gone.
1: The collapse of the tourist industry in York, combined with the closure of the university and the loss of nearly 19,000 students, has led to a significant reduction in the work available. This is combined with more riders on the streets as more people are pushed into gig work as they lose their jobs. Through analysis of his pay invoices provided by Deliveroo, Ethan has discovered that he doesn't earn the minimum wage. Since starting for Deliveroo in February 2018, he has earned an average hourly wage of £8.10 an hour before costs, below the £8.72 mandated by the UK government. Every shift, he runs a count in his head where he tots up his wage against the clock, calculating his average hourly wage.
0: It's a really stressful habit because you're always comparing yourself against like sort of the hourly clock. Um, you're comparing yourself what you would be making with like an hourly job, say. Um, and because of that, if you don't if you don't hit minimum wage, you just find yourself getting more and more stressed because you're waiting at restaurants for food, right? Well, you don't get paid for waiting times, so like you start getting angry. And frustrated, like at the restaurant, even though it's probably completely not their fault. It's because either delivery sent you too early, or they're really busy, and like the staff there aren't allowed to reject orders because they're a chain restaurant, and if they did, they would get the sack, sort of thing. So, like, you just find yourself getting frustrated with them, and they get frustrated with you, and nobody gets frustrated with delivery. The, the really weird thing is that, like we will solve this idea of independence and flexibility and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to work when it's busy. You can't choose your own hours. And and it just so happens that these hours are really unsociable, like if you've got friends who have normal jobs. So it is the, if you want to work the weekdays, it's the weekday evenings. If you want to work the weekend, it's either all day or especially the evenings. And so you're flexible. You're flexible to earn or not earn. You're flexible to your flexibility is working when it's busy or not paying the
1: rent. Pay is a substantial issue across the gig economy as a whole, with huge variability and a total lack of security for workers. The vast majority of gig workers do not have access to minimum wage and are paid via a piece rate system. The COVID 19 pandemic, along with the recent ruling classifying Uber drivers as Limby workers. Have brought issues surrounding pay within the gig economy to the fore. Here to explain some of the issues related to pay is Matt Cole, a postdoctoral researcher at Fairwork.
2: The issue of pay in, in the gig economy is really complex, uh, and pay systems are it, are like now on the sort of forefront of both like trade union and policy experts as well as employers, um, and for good reason, because you've seen the sort of return of different uh, kind of piece rate systems and the sort of abdication of the employer from uh, what was a sort of more traditional standard employment relationship that implied mutuality of obligation. So you went, in the course of the sort of uh, past 20 years, you've had the emergence of Online platforms that have basically enabled to put a sort of technological distance between the normal like manager worker relation and and from this uh, a number of different problems have arisen some of the main issues that gig workers experience around pay largely have to do with the fact that they're um, a classified classified as self-employed um, so they're missing a lot of the statutory entitlements that employees and workers get, which is part of pay. And that's also limiting their social protection, so it makes them uh, more precarious. Um, but in, in addition to that, there's a sort of fundamental uh, incompatibility potentially going on between the peace rate system and the nature of the service being provided. So. In the UK, there is there is a, a way that you can calculate fair pay based on a piece rate system. It's available on ACAS, available on the government website. Um, but platform companies just don't use this system because they have their own algorithms and they also um, don't have an, a worker or an employee relationship, so they're under no obligation to pay the minimum wage. What this leads to is... Situations where you have not enough, you have more workers than uh, work available, or there's long wait times, or work, workers spend a, lo- a long time searching for work, or in the case of cloud work, online bidding for it. And you have a sort of race to the bottom, because when every platform is is also doing this, um, you have... Workers are on multiple apps trying to cobble together a living wage, but unable to.
1: Last month, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, in collaboration with couriers on gig economy platforms, including Deliveroo, released an article in which they analysed the pay data of Deliveroo riders to ascertain the rate of pay for Deliveroo couriers across the UK. The article utilised datasets provided by the trade union, the Independent Workers Union of Great Britain, based on the analysis of the invoices provided to riders by Deliveroo. Emiliano Molino from the Bureau spoke to me about their findings.
3: So the data covered the work of over 300 riders from 2018 to 2021. And in total, in that period of time, we were looking at 60,000 hours, over 60,000 hours of work. And in terms of the main data set we used for our findings, because we thought this is the most relevant, it was the last financial year, 2020, 2021. And they were looking at 318 riders doing over 33,000 hours of work. So in terms of the last year, 2020, 2021, we found that 41% of riders in our data set were earning below the minimum wage, the £8.72 an hour minimum wage. Um, We also found, we could see throughout the whole data set what the different inputs were uh, from individual riders, and we found some riders were earning as little as £2 an hour. Um, Then we also saw that over time, from 2018 to now, the hourly pay that riders were getting had been decreasing. And then another interesting finding that goes alongside that is that the orders they were getting per hour were also decreasing. So that kind of tallies with a lot of anecdotal data we were getting from writers who were telling us that, you know what, because of overhiring, we're getting fewer and fewer orders. And because we're getting fewer and fewer orders, we're earning less and less. What we were able to see is that it's quite possible that this data backs up those those anecdotes. At least definitely 100% we're sure that backs the anecdote that earnings are going down. That we know for a fact, because our data from 2018, 2019 said that it was 11% of riders were earning below the minimum wage, the minimum wage for that year. And that's increased to 41% this year. And then there is the issue of orders per hour, because riders say that it's because they're getting fewer orders that their pay is going down. And we can see that they're definitely getting fewer orders per hour. Now, we don't know from the data if that's because they are accepting fewer orders. Or that's because Deliveroo is giving them fewer orders. But what we hear time and time again from riders, it's because they are getting fewer orders, because there has been overhiring. And if we look at what Deliveroo said over the last year, Deliveroo themselves have said that they've doubled the number of riders on the road, from 25,000
1: to 50,000. One key aspect of the pay calculations laid out within the investigation is that they do not factor in the additional things that riders have to pay for in order to do their work. So obviously we have these 41% of riders that we know are earning
3: below the minimum wage within our data set, but then we have to look at you know who are those that are earning above that you know that, that remaining fifty nine percent and what's their experience and we find that even those that are earning above the minimum wage when you take a lot often when you take into account costs once again they're earning below the minimum wage so I talked to a writer called Ian from London and a third of his a third of his earnings went on costs because he's got to pay um, he's got to pay for for his moped for petrol, for insurance, for you know, a number of costs to operate. And, and and that's basically a third of his earnings. Go on that. So even though he's earning £12 an hour, once you take into account all these costs, his pay go down, goes down to like £8 an hour.
1: Even beyond this, the data sets available to calculate rates of pay might be obscuring the true number of people receiving below minimum wage. So it's quite possible that our research is underestimating
3: the number of riders earning below the minimum wage when all their hours are factored in. That's because our research was based on Deliveroo invoice data. And what the invoice data does not cover, what doesn't come up in your invoice if you're a Deliveroo rider, are the sessions where you log in, you sit around, you get no orders, and then you log out again. Those aren't accounted for there. And subsequently, they're not accounted for in our research. So our number of hours that we would quite likely consider working hours because you're sitting there waiting for Deliveroo to give you work and you're not getting that work, which which doesn't come up in the pay
1: calculation. In response, Deliveroo has directly contravened the article's findings, stating that in busy periods, riders earn on average £13 an hour. However, Deliveroo did not outline how much riders earn on average overall, nor the average wage during non-busy working periods. But the fact
3: that they're not willing to tell you how much riders are earning in the follow hours, I think is quite telling. Because what Deliveroo says, the whole point of its business model is one that provides flexibility, right? Riders do it, and the great benefit of it is flexibility. And to be honest, a lot of riders said that that is why they want to do Deliveroo is because of flexibility. But what we also find is that if you can only work or you can only earn properly at the peak times, there is no flexibility in that equation. I think the other thing that's interesting of what Deliveroo said is that what we should take into account as working time, that our calculations were off because we we were calculating working time from the moment the writers logged into the app to the moment in which they logged off. And they say, no, that's not the correct way of, calculating working time. The way you should calculate working time is the times riders spent on an order. Which, interestingly, is the argument Uber
1: had been making throughout the whole Uber case. Emiliano is referring to the case Uber versus Aslam, where the Supreme Court recently ruled that Uber drivers must be classed as limby workers.
3: Uh, And which now Uber has said that it will change its pay system to consider drivers workers, but only when they are uh from the moment they get a fare and from the moment they're doing a fare this is in direct contravention to what the supreme court said that working time is the whole time that drivers are logged into the app so it's gonna be interesting to see how this develops over the next few years because that's clearly the direction which these gig companies are pivoting they're pivoting to reshape uh, the working arrangement to one where your working time is only the time in which you're doing the specific task but for example you know, if you're a cashier at a supermarket, should you not be paid for the time in between customers coming and going when you're not actually scanning uh, foodstuffs through the, through the till? Uh, if, if, if you're a nurse, should you not be paid for the time in which, you know, the ward isn't super busy? Um, so I think that, that looks to see what, you know, the direction in which these gig companies are pivoting. And it's going to be probably large part of the fight over, um,
1: over work will be the fight over working time. Deliveroo's IPO took place last week, with share prices dropping by 26% in the first day of trading. The company's overall valuation shrunk by £2 billion, reflecting one of the worst opening days for an IPO on record. A key concern for many investors was the company's track record in terms of worker rights, and the potential for legal challenges surrounding the classification of riders as self-employed to threaten the company's business model. For Emiliano, speaking before the IPO began, the juxtaposition between the realities of gig work and the ability for shareholders to make huge profits strikes to the heart of the inequalities manifest in the UK.
3: I think it's important to note, and you know, we're very clear about this because we, we led with this at the top of the article, that the CEO of Deliveroo uh, could net 500 million pounds from the IPO. That's what his, that was, that's what his stake could be worth. And at the same time, you have riders that are earning as little as two pounds an hour. I think that that gulf between those two realities is quite telling. And it's quite telling about the reality of Deliveroo and quite telling about the reality of, you know, the, 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 the situation we have right now in the uk of 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 work you know what is uh, the dynamics right now in the uk and, and what are the kinds of jobs that are being created what are kind of the kinds of jobs that people are flocking to as a result of the pandemic uh, and a lot of uh, work disappearing um what are the jobs that people are going to uh, because you know there is no pretty much no enforcement of employment rights in this country or the enforcement of employment rights that there is is incredibly weak um and on the other hand, you have a lot of people that could make a lot of money out of this arrangement. Um, so, yeah, I think these are things to explore. And, and, and just just to finish off, I think that's one of the reasons why the Bureau Local um, decided last year that it would start investigating one because we see that specifically in the UK as well. It's one of the, the toughest realities people are facing. The fact that you know, we call our, our work series, Is Work Working? And, you know, I think it's, it's not a spoiler to say it really isn't. Um, the current arrangement for work in the UK is not working for the vast majority of people. Um, the, the, the article we did before the liberal one was about Amazon. And um, you know, we found people that there, there were there were people that weren't getting weren't getting paid. You know, a lot of a lot of unlawful deduction of wages, and they had to chase up the company in order to get paid what they were owed. And 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 one of these people, one of these workers, these Amazon workers, telling us, you know, it's quite humiliating to be chasing up a company to be paid what you're owed, what you worked for. Um, or you know, people facing issues like shifts cancelled at the last minute. Um, I mean, you know, these are realities that are, are very common, and like we said before, Deliveroo doubled its workforce over the last year, or its riders um, over the last year. Um, Amazon has been growing exponentially in the UK. Uh, at the means, in the meantime, all these high street jobs are disappearing. Um, you know, and there's and there's other pressures on, on 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 traditional work. So this is an area that, of course, requires journalistic investigation uh, and uncovering. But it also requires a lot of other work in a lot of other groups, it be it unions, being MPs, and being, being workers, most importantly, that have to really take the leading role in, in this change, be it through legislative
1: process, being getting involved in the union process or being getting involved in the journalistic process. Thanks to Ethan Bradley, Matt Cole, and Emiliano Molino. At Fair Work, we believe that all work can and should be characterised by fair pay, fair conditions, fair contracts, fair management and fair representation. Platforms ultimately have the power to improve standards and the ability to choose to. In the UK, the vast majority of gig workers are classed as self-employed independent contractors, meaning they have no access to the minimum wage, nor to sick pay and holiday pay. Platforms can improve the work they provide by taking a proactive approach to pay, by ensuring that all workers receive at least the minimum wage after costs. At Fair Work, we believe that this should include not only the time that workers are completing work, but waiting times as well. We're actively campaigning to improve the conditions for gig workers around the world and hold platforms to account. You can find out more at fair.work. This episode was written and produced by Robbie Waring with music composed by Louis Bolais, and a special thank you to Seth Taylor.